Well, again, Father, we thank you that we don't have to worry whether or not you're for or against us, that you declare in your faithfulness that you love us, that you take care of us, that you are not a God who hates us, that you're, you, because of your love for your creation, you came down as a human being to die for the penalty that we deserved so that we can once again have relationship with you. Thank you, Father, that you are with us. Thank you that you can take care of us. Even through dark times and good times and everything in between, you are right there, faithful and true with us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Am I releasing kids? Fifth grade and below. This isn't Lighthouse, Danielle. It's our old church. That's in Taft. <laughs> Children, if you wish, follow whoever is teaching. Um, pro tip, whatever you learned today, Patrick, do not abuse your parents. Just FYI. Just putting that out there. <laughs> Don't break your mother. You only have one of them. <laughs> Well, good morning, guys. Good to see you here. I'm not going to lie. I am tired. I went to a concert and went to bed at like midnight, and I'm realizing that I'm 43. <laughs> Listen, Linda. <laughs> I didn't see you at the concert, Ken. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm still at that age where I'm like, I can do this. And then I get up in the morning, I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, but what, what we've been doing, Paul has, has we've, we've seen Paul go through this predicament where he's had a rough few days where he doesn't stay up till midnight going to a concert. But he's had a group of people at a temple get really, really mad at him to the point to where they wanted to kill him. Um, they thought that he had broken the law, that he had brought a Gentile into the temple. There was already accusations against Paul about these certain things. There's all kinds of stuff. And then now we're seeing him go before this council of elders and teachers and the high priest. We saw last week how you know he starts speaking and the high priest orders him to be smacked in the mouth. So Paul has had a rough few days. And so what we saw last week is he's still trying to tell his people about Jesus. Because no matter what, that's really his purpose. And he goes before the, the elders and he says, men and brethren, he's creating himself as an equal with them instead of declaring them and addressing them as rulers of the people and elders of, of Israel and we see that that already offends the council because they have a sense of entitlement that they are different than and better than everyone else. And so Paul is continuously fighting against these human ideologies and he's coming against all these different things. And he, he notices how these, these elders and these council members are very much used to being treated as better than and more elevated, 
And this actually goes contrary. We talked about this last week. Contrary to what Jesus actually taught his followers to do in Matthew 20. Yet it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. And this goes for everyone. I don't care who you are. I don't care how great you think you are. If you want to be first, you must be a servant. This is what Jesus has called us to do. And so there's a warning there. Do not elevate pastors or leaders or whoever, elders, whoever you call as leadership within whatever church that you may be at. Because it's not pastors than everybody else. It's just our roles are right here. My role is different from your role, but that doesn't make it any more or less than. We're all here. I have to answer to the same God as you. I have to worship the same God as you. I have to read the same word as you. And I talked about this. This is the reason why God made me a pastor, because I'm goofy. So he makes me read the same book over and over again. So I am no better than or lesser than anybody else. And so we also notice that Paul is going to the council and he calls them whitewashed walls. And we need to make sure that we're not the same. You know, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, that their righteousness is on the outside. They're very clean and pristine looking on the outside, but on the inside they're rotting. They have no righteousness. They're rotting corpses like the Pharisees. And we have to understand that as Christians, we will get falsely accused of things, but if we make sure that our righteousness, that our faith is not surface level, then our lives will reflect the faith we claim to follow. Because in the end, the whole idea of being a Christian and the sign of being a Christian is a changed life that's following Jesus. And so it can't be surface level. And eventually people will notice that. And so people, you know, the cross may be offensive to people. You may be falsely accused of things. The church has been accused of things. But we need to make sure we're living according to God's word and rightly so that we can come up and say, look, just like Paul said, I have come with a clear conscience. My hands are clean of whatever it is that you're accusing me of. And oftentimes Christians don't realize that because we act contrary to our own faith. And then when the world accuses us of something, they actually have the receipts to say, well, look at how you've acted. Look at what you've said. Look at what you've done. You claim to believe in this, and you act this way. We need to have an authentic faith. And now we're going to continue with Paul's encounter with the council, and we're going to see what goes on with him and, and what's, what he tries to do and what he tries to tell them. But before we do that again, let's pray. Holy Father, I do thank you that even during rough times you were still there. I thank you during rough times that you remind us that we still even have a mission, even when things aren't easy. I ask you to bless this word. Bless everybody here who hears it and help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue in Acts 23, 6 through 8. 
But then Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, and he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. And he said, and when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. We already have a lot going on in these three verses here. So we've heard a lot about the Pharisees. For the most part, Jesus encounters a lot of Pharisees. So we kind of heard about them. And we see that Paul states he is one of them. He comes from the Pharisees. He's the son of the Pharisees. And so now we hear about this other Jewish group, this other sect of Judaism, and that's called the Sadducees. So I just really quickly wanted to dive into that for just a second about first century religious leadership and religion. And doesn't that sound like an amazing topic? <laughs> but here's the thing. There was different, at this time, there's different sects of Judaism. There's the Pharisees, which we've heard about. There's the Sadducees, which we've just now heard about. And there was even the Essenes, which we're not really going to worry about because they're not really mentioned. But all of them kind of collectively created the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish leading council and the elders and the high priests and all these different things. Now, the difference between the two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees, again, are the ones we've heard about a lot. They're the ones that actually created something called fence laws, which means if the law says do or do not do, or do, not do this, they created fence laws so that you didn't even come close to breaking that law. So that's what we hear a lot about. In other words, they created new rules for the Jews to abide by to make sure they wouldn't even come close to breaking God's law. And they actually created 613 of them. That's a lot. I can't even memorize 10. But the, the Pharisees were the more conservative of the group. They believed and accepted that the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, along with the prophets and so on, basically all of the Old Testament that we have, along with oral tradition, was all the word of God. They accepted it all and treated it as all the word of God. And they also believe, as Paul points out, and that Acts points out, is they believe in the resurrection. They also believe in spirits and in angels and so on. Now, that's the Pharisees. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they're a bit more of the progressive group of the two groups. They were actually more wealthy. They had higher social status. They were in charge of maintaining the temple, the priestly responsibilities, and all that stuff. As a matter of fact, when the temple was destroyed in 72 AD, all their wealth and privilege and power just decimated. They were wiped out. Their beliefs were that the Torah, again, the first five books of the Bible, were the only word of God. There is nothing else. First five books of the Bible. They do not believe in angels or spirits. They do not believe in the resurrection. And just from describing these two groups, don't they sound like they constantly got along and worked in harmony together and everything was just wonderful in Israel? No. Of course not. They 
hated each other. They were constantly fighting each other. You thought that they were cantankerous towards Christians. They couldn't stand each other. So it was even a miracle in their mutual hatred towards Christians that they would even come together to work together against Christianity. But again, I want to point something out. Doesn't that unfortunately sound familiar? We have two different types of groups. Doesn't it sound familiar today? What, what's the big thing? You have to be baptized in order to be saved, and it has to be full immersion. No, 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 no. The way to be saved is, in order to know you're saved, you have to speak in tongues. That's the only proof. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. You have to believe that the rapture comes before the tribulation. No, no, you have to believe that it comes after the tribulation. We all have different beliefs. We all have different things. And it keeps going on. Church service should be on Sundays at this particular time. Nope, church service should be on Saturdays because the Sabbath was never taken away. So we should have it on Saturdays. And no one should work on Saturdays. Because humans don't change. Ecclesiastes, that which has, has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. I always want to point out that we are sometimes no better than Pharisees or Sadducees. They are not the people that we get to pick on and scapegoat and say how ridiculous because then we can turn around and look at a mirror and be doing the exact same thing. Humans have always been this way. They will pick their group, their tribe. They will think they are right and everyone else just needs to get in line because they're doing it wrong. But... This is something that we will be dealing with until Jesus comes back. And this is why Paul wrote in Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Notice we have to make an effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. God is not going to look at your particular doctrine, your particular address, your particular denomination and say, wow, you guys were so much better than everybody else. It's going to be about who you're following. If you're following Foursquare, you're doing it wrong. If you're following Jesus, you're on the right path. But again, Paul kind of takes advantage of this division and he appeals to his pharisaical brethren. He kind of like takes advantage of what's happening. And some say that he saw the writing on the wall and he realized that they were not going to be very receptive to the gospel. So he's like, okay, they're probably going to try to start killing me again. So I'm going to try to make 
someone be sympathetic to me. And he tries to appeal to the Pharisees by saying, I'm being judged concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead, which he's not entirely wrong about. Because here's the thing. We can take everything else, how we do communion, whether or not baptism and different various things, speaking in tongues, but the core tenant and hope of every Christian on the planet is the resurrection. That is our core tenant. We believe and we're even going to celebrate next month that not only did our Savior Jesus Christ was crucified and died on the cross, but that he rose again on the third day, that he is alive now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. That is the core tenet of Christianity. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead did not rise. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So, you know, this passage even goes on to say that if Christ didn't, risen, didn't rise from the dead, then we are to be a people to be most pitied because that hangs in the balance of what we believe in. And Paul wrote this letter because within the Christian church at this time, people weren't believing in the resurrection. I don't know how you merge those two together, but he's saying if he didn't raise from the dead, then your faith is futile then you believe in a dead Savior. You believe in a dead God, and your faith is meaningless then. Now again, like I said, it doesn't matter. A whole lot doctrinally shouldn't really matter in Christianity. There's like surface-level stuff that, you know, the Baptists don't tend to believe in speaking in tongues, but we Pentecostals tend to be speaking in tongues. But... Again, the resurrection is central to the faith that we profess. I don't care which place you go to. I don't care which spot on the planet you go to. Your brethren needs to understand and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if otherwise, because the whole point is we profess with our mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And if there is no resurrection, there's no Christianity. And then going back to what Paul said before, it seems that his ploy works and causes dissension to rise among this group and actually has some of the Pharisees leaning towards his side. Because again, they, as the Pharisees, believe in the resurrection. Going on verse 9, Then there rose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by, by them, commanded the soldiers to go down 
and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. They're going back to what one of their great teachers actually said, that if this is from God, then leave it alone. If this is really from God, then we shouldn't be fighting against it. And at least for some of them, based on their own doctrine, they begin to realize that maybe there is no fault in Paul. And instead of rejecting his message because they don't like it or ignore obvious truth, they're actually starting to maybe believe. Unlike most other Pharisees, which it didn't matter how true it was, they were going to be completely blind to it. They were going to reject it in any possible way. And let's face it, let's, let's give the Pharisees some credit here because between the two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Pharisees were actually correct. You're not going to hear that very often. Pharisees were correct. There is a resurrection. There are angels. There are spirits. But the problem is, even in agreement with Paul, they could only go so far with him. Because again, there was obvious truth. Even when Jesus was walking on the earth, there was blatant. He performed miracles that according to the Bible, only the Messiah could perform, and yet they rejected it. As a matter of fact, this is one of my favorite responses. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. No one has raised anyone from the dead. Jesus just steps out and says, Lazarus, come forth, and here he is. And you would think that the Pharisees would fall to their faces and say, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, we can't believe this, this is crazy. We bow down before you and accept you. And then John 12 happens. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see at Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Get back in your tomb. You don't belong out here. Because on the account of him, many of the Jews went away believing in Jesus. So this man was raised from the dead, and they're like, kill him again. Put him back in the grave, because it doesn't fit with our doctrine. Because Jesus couldn't possibly be the Messiah, because we say he's not the Messiah. So put the tomb back. Get in there. Again, be careful with this. A lot of people make this mistake. We have predispositions. We have certain sets of beliefs and doctrine that may not be connected biblically. We all have bad doctrine. And be careful with that because our ideologies, our own personal ideologies will be, make us blind to the truth. God possibly could not do this because I don't think or believe or understand that God could do this. You can't decide who and what God is and what he can and cannot do. This is why it's so important to humble ourselves to the authority of God himself and the authority of his word. 1 Peter 5, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God 
that he may exalt you in due time. It all comes down to pride, whether you're a Pharisee or sitting here in church today. The problem is, is anytime you're more concerned with being right, even against clear evidence that you may be wrong, you will immediately lose the truth. And the problem is anytime you start to do this, anytime we believers who claim to have the truth, to believe in Jesus, once we start deciding that we are right and we lose that truth, people suffer, especially those outside of the church, those who don't believe, because there is no winner. I mean, look at what happened here. Even from the beginning, to go on Paul's side, the truth was lost in the midst of chaos and dissension because one side would not relent that there could possibly be a resurrection. And so there's chaos. There is no winner when it comes to infighting. Only people losing Christ. I mean, this gathering became so violent that Roman soldiers had to drag Paul out of the proceedings because they thought this group was once again going to rip him apart. I want you to think about that for a minute. The Jewish council of elders and high priests became so enraged, so violent, that it took Romans, Gentiles, to save Paul from his own people. Gentiles had to step in and be the reasonable ones. I mean, what kind of message does this give to Gentiles? I mean, these Jews are so crazy, they can't even get along. No wonder why we have such problems in this region. They'll fight each other. They'll fight anybody. And here's the idea. Here's what's so sad about this, is the Jews were specifically called and chosen by God to be a light to the world. There is one God, one holy God, and he's going to bring a savior. That is what the nation of Israel was supposed to be, a beacon to the one true God, to a world that was lost in falsehood, and yet they can't even get along with each other. Again, doesn't that sound frighteningly familiar. We are to be that same beacon. We are grafted in to the promises of Abraham. We are Abraham's children in faith. We are called to say to the world that there is a savior, there is hope, there is light in this darkness. But we're too busy fighting against each other sometimes. 2 Timothy 2 Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Okay, when I say difficult people, don't start looking around. Find a mirror. Just putting that out there. Same thing with me. But again... One of the most saddest things, and I don't remember who said it, but someone said, you know, this Jesus guy I like, 
It says followers I can't stand. Because guess what? We're known as to be a people who shoot our wounded. Have you seen that very often? Uh, Some leader somehow sins and he or she comes out and they'll even genuinely say, hey, I have sinned. I have done this. Please pray for me. I am genuinely working on this. Please help me. And the majority of the church will then turn their backs on them. You evil sinner, how dare you? I can't believe that. We're going to get rid of all your books. We're going to get rid of everything. They start blasting them. They start denouncing them. There's blogs and posts about how evil they are and how they knew what kind of thing is going on and that no one should ever listen to them ever again. Or even someone who slightly, they start kind of having some questionable doctrine and we immediately devour them and rip them apart. I mean, whatever happened to what the scriptures say, hey, gently correct, gently turn back, gently pray for your brother. And as we fight and get mad at each other, and as we turn our backs on each other, and as we do the us versus them within the church, we then turn to the world and say, hey, believe in Jesus and come be like And then we wonder why not a lot of people want to come to church. Again, it's not always on the outside. It's not always, like I said last week, it's not Taylor Swift singing about her ex-boyfriends that are keeping people out of the church. A lot of times it's the way we behave and what we do and what we say and how we treat each other. Even when you may disagree, even when you may not like your brother or sister, the way that the world knows that God has sent you and that Jesus has been raised from the dead is even how you treat each other at that moment, how you love each other. Even in times of disagreement. But again, this is the whole point about useless arguments and backbiting within the church and among believers. It is never about what you and what you think and what you say and what you feel that is right or wrong or how you think Christians should be or act or how you think God should work. It is never, ever about that. That is dangerous territory because at the end of the day when you do that, You create a false god in your image. And then you cause others to sin when you convince them to worship that god you created. It's about what he says is right. What he says to do. How he says a Christian should act. And if he says and calls a certain group of believers to go or do or say or act a certain way, and it's not contrary to the Bible because God is not schizophrenic. He will never tell us or command us to do something against his word. Even if we go, that doesn't sound right. I don't know if I'd do that. Well, that's why God didn't call you to do it. Pray for your brothers and sisters who are going out there to do it. Even if you disagree, I I don't know, man. I don't like that method the way you're doing it, but hey... Praise God if it works. 
Because again, you can't have infighting and anger and hatred. The world already has enough of that. And then you're going to invite people to come and go, oh, but we have the truth, but man, we sure don't act like it. You have to understand and realize and understand that God is correct always. And you submit to him, not the other way around. And again, I believe I've said this before, but you know, Abraham Lincoln was famously asked whether he, somewhat, he thought that God was on his side. This is a civil war. This is the tearing a part of our nation. Someone says, hey, do you think God's on your side? And he says, again, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side because God is always right. Every single time. Because at the end of the day, guys, this isn't a game. People's eternities are at stake. And if you claim to be a believer, then you hold the keys to give to someone to receive eternal salvation, eternal life, and reconciliation and redemption to the God that created them. And anything in any Anyone or anything or any doctrine that gets in the way of that, we need to get rid of it quickly. Because I don't want to be the reason why someone's going to hell. That would be devastating. So for those of us who claim to have the truth, honestly, most of the time we need to get our crap together. Because we need to be about what God wants, what our Father wants. He wants no one to perish And so our Father's desires should be our desires. So again, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Everything else is just noise. You can have have disagreements. You can have arguments. You can have friendly banter. But at the end of the day, we need to put away our own selfish righteousness and clothe ourselves and humble ourselves with the righteousness of the one true God. Because he's the only one that matters. And one final verse of the worship team comes up. As we come together, we need to remember this. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Holy Father, first of all, we declare that you are good. You are the one who is holy 
any righteousness, any holiness, anything that we may have is only from you. It is not of ourselves. Help us, Father, to submit to the truth. Even when we can't figure it out, even when we don't understand it, even when we may disagree, help us to realize that you are the holy, eternal God, creator of the heavens and the earth, and you know way more than us. Help us to humble ourselves before you, to submit to one another. Help us to be willing to yield at times where we feel something is right, but we still have to love our brothers and sisters whom we even may disagree with and may even always disagree with. But at the end of the day, we serve the same God, we worship the same God, we profess the same Christ and the same Lord. You have called us all to be holy, whatever service or address that we're at. You have called us to believe in our hearts that you raised Christ from the dead and confess that he is sovereign Lord and King. Help us to remember what we are have similar more than what we have in different so that we can be your light in this dark world and that people can come to know Christ and be saved. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.